the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us tonight. The difficult times we live in begs the question, where is God during our most challenging times? We believe the more the world becomes chaotic, the more we need to draw closer to God and learn to trust in Him. The Bible is our source for all things that sustain us as Christians. Philippians 4-7 tells us that we can have the kind of peace that transcends all understanding, even when the world seems to be completely out of control. Over the next 30 minutes, Pastor Dudley Rutherford is going to share a message meant for everyone listening right now. We know it is no accident you are with us tonight, for God orchestrates all things perfectly. So let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message. Well, I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. If you were not here last week, we started a brand new series going through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah took place 455 B.C. That's about, that's about 2,500 years ago, okay? But you have to go back 130 years before the book of Nehemiah to understand Nehemiah because 130 years before was when Jerusalem was destroyed. And here's the story we looked at it last week. The king of Babylon, his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. This is 130 years before Nehemiah shows up. Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem. He probably did not go across the desert. He probably went up the Euphrates River. Those two rivers, uh, that's called Mesopotamia, and uh, that's really where Iran and Iraq is today, but they probably, he probably traveled up the Euphrates River, and then he came down uh, to Jerusalem. Now, uh, write this down, 2 Kings 25. Just write it down somewhere, 2 Kings 25. It's the last chapter in the book of Kings. And I did not tell you what happened last week, and I didn't take the time to read how Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. But you can read about it in 2 Kings 25. He went to Jerusalem and he, he laid siege to it, which means he encompassed the city with his army. And literally for four, five, six months, no one could leave, no one could get in. They literally starved the people to death. And one night, in the middle of the night, the king of Judah, who was inside the city of Jerusalem, he and his soldiers, they broke out of the walls. They snuck out in the middle of the night and fled for their lives. That was their only hope because they were going to die of uh, lack of food inside the city. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar hears that King Zedekiah has fled the city. So 2 Kings 25 explains in detail how they chase after Israel's army. They catch uh, King Zedekiah. 
And what, what Nebuchadnezzar does to the king of Judah, he grabs his children, puts them right in front of King Zedekiah, and he kills his children. And then he gouges out the, the king of Judah's eyes, King Zedekiah. He gouges out his eyes. So the king of Judah, the last thing that he saw was his children getting killed. And the rest of his life, his eyes are gouged out, but he has that memory. Nebuchadnezzar then takes Zedekiah and all the Jews living in Israel, and they take them all the way across that desert, and they, uh, they are held as captives in Babylon. For 50 years, the Jews are under the thumb of King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, one generation is, uh, dies off, one generation is born. Eventually, Persia conquers Babylon. So King Nebuchadnezzar's gone. Now the king of Persia is in charge of the Jews. His name is Cyrus. Cyrus the Great, they called him. Well, several kings come and go. Now Cyrus is gone. Now the king is King Artaxerxes. And this is where Nehemiah, in the year 455, somewhere he's born in exile. He's a Jew. He's never, he's never even been to Jerusalem. But he's in exile and he becomes the cupbearer to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. And you know what a cupbearer is. He's the guy, whenever the, whenever the king wants to eat or he wants some wine, he has someone who tests the food, someone who tests the wine in case, not, not, not in case the wine is bad, in case someone is trying to poison the king. So he has to find a trusted servant who's willing to taste the wine to make sure it hadn't been poisoned so nehemiah he tastes the wine if he doesn't die then the king gets some wine he's the cupbearer to king artaxerxes in persia and uh, one day he's out in front of the palace this is all in chapter one nehemiah chapter one we looked at this last week some travelers came from jerusalem all the way to babylon and nehemiah saw the travelers, and he asked, can you tell me what it's like back in Jerusalem? Can you tell me about the Jewish remnant? Can you tell me about the city of Jerusalem? And the travelers explained to Nehemiah that the people in Jerusalem, the Jewish remnant, that they're discouraged, that they're disgraced, and that the walls of the city lie in ruin and the gates have been destroyed. And when Nehemiah hears this, this is all chapter 1, Nehemiah, the Bible says that he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. He began to weep and he began to pray. And we talked about this, and this is so important that you understand, that when he prays, we looked at this last week, he began to confess his sins and the sins of his forefathers because he realized that the reason the Jews were in captivity and the reason that Jerusalem lies in ruins is because Israel had turned their back on God. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, he begins to confess his sins and he begins to repent of his sins and his forefathers' sins. And I don't know if you know this, we talked about this, how this whole story really has a lot to do with what's going on in our world today. Yesterday, if you paid attention to the news, finally something good on the news, there was a prayer uh, service that was held 
on the mall in Washington, D.C., and there were Christians from all over the country that had gathered to pray and to confess our sins and the sins of our forefathers. We talked about this last week that when you come to church, when you come to church this week, we have these signs that are made called Pray for America. And when you leave today, as you leave church today, you can pick up one of these signs. And just as Nehemiah prayed for his people, the nation of Israel, you and I need to pray for our country because our country's problems are not going to be resolved by the Republicans. They're not going to be solved by the Democrats. The only person who can fix our country is Almighty God. He's the only one. So on the way out today, make sure you pick up your sign. So we come to chapter 2. Everybody say chapter 2. It's been four months since chapter 1. I want you to take your Bibles and let's read through some of the story in Nehemiah chapter 2. It says in the month of Nisan. Everybody say Nisan. Say it again. That is the month of March. If you go back and look at chapter 1, verse 1, you see in the month of Kislev. Everybody say Kislev. That's November. So Nehemiah chapter 1 takes place in November. We're four months later by the time you come to uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. And what you need to know about this is that for four months, Nehemiah has been praying. And he's been praying for his people. He's been praying for an opportunity to one day have a chance to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild those walls. So look at chapter 2 verse 1. And the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Everybody, try to say that. Artaxerxes. Say it. This is just free advice. Always be leery of a king who's got the word tax in the middle of his name. All right? Just this little, little warning there. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I, Nehemiah, took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. And the last line in verse 2 says, I was very much afraid. Now, why was he afraid? Well, because in the presence of a Persian king, servants like Nehemiah were expected to be polite. They were expected to be courteous. You were never to show emotion And certainly you were never to ask the king any questions. That could cost you not just your job, that could cost you your life. Well, he's been praying for four months for God to open up a door, an opportunity to talk to the king. And all of a sudden the king is now talking to him. Yes, he's afraid. Again, you would never ask the king any questions. Certainly you would never ask the king for vacation time. It's an easy way to get your head chopped off, which leads me to ask you this question. Is there anything in your life right now that you're afraid of? And I'm not talking about insects like a spider or a bug, but something that God has called you to do or something that God has called you to be, whether to become a Christian, to be baptized, to follow God with all of your heart. Is there anything that you're afraid of? I would tell you that Nehemiah was afraid because He knew that following God's will could cost him his life. He was risking everything. He was afraid. Look at verse 3. But I said to the king, 
May the king live forever. You know what that is? Long live the king. It's always important when you're going to ask the king a question to butter him up first. You want to stroke the king's ego if you have a chance. May the king live forever. And then he answers, why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And verse 4 says, the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Mid-sentence, mid-conversation, he prays. He prays. Have you ever done that? Someone asks you a question, and they said, they said, they said, they said, you're not one of those Christians, are you? Or why do you go to that church? Or why do you read your Bible? Or why do you pray before? And you ever said, Lord, 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 help me answer this question? And then you start to answer the question? That's exactly what Nehemiah did. The king Artaxerxes says, Nehemiah, what is it you want? Nehemiah prayed, and then he answered the king. Look at verse 5. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, Jerusalem, where my fathers are buried so that I can do what? So that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a what? Time. Now, if it were me, I would have said, Thank you, king, and I'd been out the door. But if I got permission, but that's the what Nehemiah, he stays, he keeps asking more questions. He's not done asking the king for favors. Look at verse 7. I also said, hey, there's one more thing. There's one more thing. If it pleases the king, could I have like uh, some letters on your stationery to the governors of the trans-Euphrates? That's that area up there between the two rivers, the uh, Mesopotamia. Uh, in other words, what he's asking here is, I need a passport. And he says there in verse 7, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that the, they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. Verse 8, and there's one more thing. Can I have a letter to Asaph? He's the keeper of your forest. So he will just give me timber. To make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city walls. Oh, and there's one more thing. I'd like to build, build a house that I, I'm, I'll be living in. And verse 8 says, And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governor of the trans-Euphrates and gave him the king's letters. This story is so amazing, I don't even know where to begin. This guy is the slave. He's a cupbearer. He's been waiting and praying for four months for God to open up a, a window, a door that he can have a conversation with the king. And in chapter 2, God answers that prayer. He opens up the door for success. Nehemiah boldly speaks to the king. He says, I know I'm just a slave here at the palace, but I'm asking you, king, can I go to Jerusalem? 
Can I lead a building project? Can I rebuild the walls? Can I restore the gates? And I need some letters of recommendation. I need a passport. And one more thing, not only do I need your permission, I'd like to have you uh, supply the resources for this project. And God so moves in the heart of King Artaxerxes that the king says, sure. Number one, write this down. When God opens up a door, walk through that door. If God opens up the door, walk through that door. God showered favor upon Nehemiah. And Nehemiah walks through that door. You know what that's called? That's called faith. Faith is following God's plan even when you don't know how it's going to turn out. If God gives you that opportunity, take advantage of that opportunity and know that God's going to be with you. It was 25 years ago, this week, on Thursday, October the 1st, 25 years ago, that we merged two churches together from two different denominations. You can't merge two churches in the same denomination together. And I remember 25 years ago when Dr. Jess Moody, former pastor of First Baptist Church Van Nuys, knocked on my door. I was down there at Hillcrest Christian Church. We had this little tiny building, had like four sections of eight pews, and we had about 100 parking spaces. We were running 1,000 people in that little building down there. And Dr. Jess Moody knocked on my door and said, Dudley, we've got this land down here, and we've got that, the building that was over there. And he goes, what do you think about merging these two churches together? We began to talk. We began to pray. And I remember the day that I took it to the board, and I said to the church board, hey, we have this opportunity. And none of us knew what would happen. We knew there'd be a lot of hurdles. We knew there'd be a lot of difficult moments. But we left that board meeting with this thing, this attitude. We said, you know, if God opened that door, let's, let's just keep, let's keep walking through until God shuts the door. We'll, we'll walk down this path until God shuts the door. And that's exactly what we did. The key is to make sure that God's the one that opened that door. How many of you know you, don't, you just don't want to walk through any door? I want to show you this picture, a little bit of history. You know, I like history. This is the Michigan University football team from the year 1901. And the head coach, his name was Fielding Yost. Fielding Yost. He was hired in 1901 to be the head football coach, University of Michigan. He was there for 25 years. His very first season, they went undefeated. They went 10-0, and 0, and their last game was the very first football game called the Rose Bowl, and they beat Stanford 49 to nothing. At the end of that season, it dawned on them that not only did they go undefeated, that the opponents never scored a single point the entire season. And if you look, there's a football there, and it's got the number on it, 550 to 0, which means that year, that first year of the head football coach, they scored 550 points. The opponents scored 0. And they took this photograph. The second year he was there, they went undefeated. The third year they were there, they were undefeated. The fourth year they were there, they were undefeated. They didn't lose a football game until the fifth season. Maybe you probably try, they probably people trying to get him fired after that first loss there. Five seasons in. 
One, one game, they beat the University of, uh, they beat West Virginia 135 to zero. And in those 25 years, they won six national championships. But I told you all that to tell you this story. This football coach was one of these fiery halftime uh, coaches that gave these halftime fiery speeches. And one time, halftime, true story, they were behind at halftime. And he got up and he chewed those kids out and said, you guys are a bunch of losers. You're a bunch of, you're an embarrassment. You're an embarrassment to your own family. You're an embarrassment to the university. And he said, uh, you don't work hard enough. You're too cocky. And we got to start working together. And he said, let's, let's get up. Let's, let's get him in the second half. Let's get him on the second half. And he opened the door and he said, let's go. And they all, the whole football team ran, but he'd opened the wrong door. And they ran through that door and they all landed inside a swimming pool. And those football players got out of that swimming pool dripping wet and they won the second half of that game and defeated the team that they were playing. Make sure if someone's telling you to go through a door, make sure it's the door that God wants you to go through. Can someone say amen? Now let me tell you three things you need when the door opens up. Number one is prayer. He said, then I pray to the God of heaven. It's very obvious to me when you study the book of Nehemiah, that Nehemiah was a prayer warrior. He prayed, we talked about this last week. He prayed in chapter 1 for an, an open door. In chapter 2, as soon as the door opens, the very first thing that he does when God answers his prayer is to pray again. And notice he didn't pray to a statue. He didn't pray to a candle. He didn't pray to the Persian gods. He prayed to the God of heaven the living God of this universe. Prayer is entering into the presence of God. Prayer is walking into the throne room of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Prayer is taking our burdens to the one who truly cares. Prayer is standing or kneeling on what's called holy ground. Uh, prayer is communicating with the creator God of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence Prayer is bringing your hurts and your heartache and your pain to the God of all comfort. Prayer is crying out to the one who is the rock in the midst of the storm. Prayer is communing with the only one that can save your soul. Prayer is touching the one that loves us unconditionally. Prayer is bringing all of your questions to the one person who has all the answers in life. Prayer is reaching out to the God who never sleeps and never tires and he's never afraid and he's never surprised. Prayer is connecting our lives with the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God who cares. God opens up that door. He answers Nehemiah's prayer. And the first thing that Nehemiah does is he prays again. And we should do the same. In these uncertain times... We know as Christians there's a great comfort available to us in the form of prayer. If you feel the need right now for someone to pray with, we have phone counselors standing by, ready to take your call. Our number is easy to dial. It's 888-818-4777. If you are unable to get through on your first try, please be sure to try again. Our phone number again is 888-818-4777. Deep in the heart of every believer, there's a faint whisper, a call, a prompting. We go about our business and we hear it. 
We see and interact with lost people every day, and the whisper echoes again for us to share our faith and tell others about Jesus. And yet, we still resist. In his latest book, Compelled, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shares his earnest desire for each and every believer to be equipped with the good news of salvation. He encourages you with inspiring stories of men and women, young and old, who have accepted the irresistible call to share Jesus with everyone they meet. And he provides practical methods to overcome your fears and effectively articulate the message of salvation. Thousands of readers have already taken advantage of this incredible book, and now it's here for you. Compelled, the irresistible call to share your faith can be yours right now for a gift of $15 or more to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. It's as easy as calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get Compelled, the irresistible call to share your faith on our website, liftupjesus.com. Our address again is liftupjesus.com. Discover for yourself the strength that awaits inside you to speak boldly to others of how Jesus Christ has changed your life forever. Don't hesitate. Call us right now and get your copy of Pastor Dudley's latest book, Compelled, The Irresistible Call to Share Your Faith, today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.